Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode on the Celtic Now Answer podcast. My name is Ryan Crawford. We've got a guest podcast this week. Joining me in the panel is Robert Boyle. Rob, how you doing, mate? All right. Thanks, mate. And also we have Tony McPartland, ex-professional footballer, Celtic, Livingston, Barnsley, Wickham, and so on. Tony, uh, obviously, again, mate, glad to have you on. You've had the dream, mate, so it's good to have you on. Have you experienced the season? Obviously, your current views um, in Celtic, but first and foremost, mate, I hope you're well during lockdown, and obviously, during lockdown, hope you've been well, mate. Yeah, no, thanks for having us on, lads. Not too bad at all. Um, just like everyone else, just trying to dig deep uh, and get through it all. Um, I'm currently, um, I'm a personal trainer at the moment, but I'm not working just now because of the restrictions. So, just like everyone else, just um, everybody's got their own stories about lockdown at the moment. I'm just trying to just trying to dig deep, trying to keep myself fit, and um, I'm happy to answer any questions you've got for us tonight. So, forward, thanks. I say, obviously, brought up in Glasgow, mate, Morgan. Um, how how has it grown up? We always like a we always into football, Celtic fan. What was you kind of growing up like? I was obsessed with it from, from a very young age, um, from, from as long as I can remember. Um, I used to, I was brought up in a street in Glasgow where um, every second house had a had had a kid in it, and it was always somebody available to play football. And even if there wasn't, it didn't bother me too much. I used to spend hours on my own practicing, desperate to try and get better all the time. Um, so nothing else really mattered. Even even Christmas morning, you woke up Christmas morning. As long as you had a ball there and, and a pair of pair, pair of boots, that was it. You were you were made up. When I was just obsessed with coming be, becoming better, so I used to practice a lot. Um, and I was quite fortunate with the street, the street that I grew up in. Um, like I said, there was always boys here available for games of football and for a kickabout. So it was a great street to be brought up in. I, I know it's changed days now. And you don't see much of that at all anymore, which is a shame. Uh, but for me, it was, it was a great upbringing. Um, I have really fond memories of it. Do you think, obviously now you're saying back then, it was really the same that I was younger, ever was it playing football. Do you think that's something that's maybe why football's not really progressed in this country? Because kids aren't as, as active as, well as maybe we were when we younger? 100%. Why that is though, I know that there's a lot to do with social media and there's a lot to do with computer games and um, where I stay, I've got a son myself, he's 14, the, the, the street that we stay in, there's plenty of boys here but you don't see them out playing at all, um, parents I think have become more cautious as well, I mean I used to go, go out in the morning, have a kick about before school, as soon as I get home, 
Because obviously, I think Robert was obviously, me and Mark were talking about how kind of, you know, you've kind of lived the dream. And also, I think Robert was why I asked you like, how we're kind of brought up in that kind of way, like determined to actually be a footballer. It's just, see, um, it's all I thought about. It's all, it's all I wanted to do is from a young age, I knew it wasn't even a case of, oh, I quite fancy giving the football a try and, and see how it works out. As far as I was concerned, that's what I was going to do. And, um, and I was obsessed with it, like I said, and I had the full backing from mum and dad as well. They never ever held me back in any way, um, even when it came, rightly or wrongly, even when it came to my schoolwork, it wasn't particularly academic. So mm-hmm. my mum never pushed me to school that much either. She was fully convinced that I was going to be a footballer as well. Uh, I think she could see that in us. Um, but it was just an obsession. That's all it was. It was just nothing nothing else mattered. I even had friends who were very good footballers as well. They probably could have done something in the game at some level, but they always said to me, what do you want to be when you're older? And I always said, I, I want to be a professional footballer. But you would always get that response, I well, what's, actually, what's the chances of you actually making it? And I was like, well, why not? Mm-hmm. I didn't ever see it as anything else other than... That this is going to be my job and I'm older. I, I think, I think, I think me and Robert can never talk about Robert, Robert, how when you get to the, you know, that level, Celtic and Barnsley and other guys are play professional, you've always kind of grown up with that and I think maybe that's where it's lacking in people in, in our generation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely, right. Yeah, there's a lot more distractions now. Um, like, like I said earlier on, but there is a, there's a very few select amount of boys, I think, now that are, that are actually obsessed with the game um, and that it's total tunnel vision about what they want to do. Um, and I think, obviously, with kids being in academies now and, and they, they go through the, the children's programme and they go through the system, they're, they're in Courage to get an education as well now, and, and they're not seeing football um, as plan A. I didn't. Mm. It was difficult for me when I finished because I didn't have a plan B, so I can see why they do that now. But the way I seen it, it was it was all or nothing. I'm just going to give this a hundred percent, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least I can turn back and say that I did give it hundred percent, and. Um, I've absolutely no regrets that way, but it was just, it was non-stop football. It was watching Italia football and the Minda Gazeta football programme. They used to do Italia football on a Sunday or Saturday morning. It was um, Soccer AM the Saturday morning as well. But I used, to, mm. I used to play three games a day as well on a Saturday. I used to play with my school in the morning, nine o'clock, Celtic Boys Club later on, and then my select that day as well. And that didn't phase me at all. It was mm. just, some boys nowadays maybe would go, oh, that's maybe a wee bit too much, and, and parents would maybe tailor that. And But 
I was I would play until I was dead on my feet every single day. I think I think most people I think a lot of guys are like that. I think these days is uh, when when I played, I think when all of you played as well. We we played a lot of games, and but you you, you did kind of moan about it, didn't you, Robert? Hi, of course, mine. Um, hi, Tony, how you doing? Um, just a wee question, mate. What made you get into playing football? And did you grow up? Did you always grow up being a Celtic supporter? Yeah, absolutely. Well, all my family we are big Celtic uh, fans, and I think now when you're young, you do go through these stages. Like, oh, I think we support like. There was, I think there was a couple of English clubs. I've never any other Scottish clubs. Celtic were always my number one team, but it had ours. I'll maybe support Arsenal but this week. They're doing brilliant. Or Man United the next week. They're doing brilliant. But it was always Celtic. It's a Celtic-orientated um, uh, family, without a doubt. But like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't just a, a conscious thing. It wasn't me going... I think I just I want to be a footballer one day. That was all I cared about. It's all I thought about. Um, even in school, I'm sitting there, the teacher would be cracking up going, you're not concentrating. <laughs> I'm just sitting there thinking about football and and that was the way it was for us. Um, and I think for youngsters uh, that, are, that want to come through and maybe do something in the game, I think that's where you need to be. I think so. I think as well as, I think especially when I was younger, Football was on my mind. I didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't, but I don't know about you. Uh, can I, you're kind of on that, Robert, but I think that's maybe the difference when guys like Tony and guys that do make it professional, they are really obsessed with it, and I think that's, I think that's missing these days. I definitely, Ryan. I, I was never good enough to play football. My highlight my career was playing against Aidan McGee. <laughs> I still think I'm, I'm still think I'm cross-eyed with how good the skills the guy had against us. Um, but, I was obsessed with football, but I was never good enough. Um, obviously, probably when you're that age, it's your dream to play football, but you've got to have the talent, you've got to have a bit of luck, um, and it's got to be in the right place at the right time a lot of it. Um, it's a dream, and just, it's interesting to hear Tony's take on it all. Um, Living your dream, should we say, in the football. Um, and just, who was your influence, Tony, like when you were growing up? Was a any big cousins that pushed you on and stuff? And did street football have a lot to do with learning your trade? Well, um, in terms of influences, not really. Um, obviously, I had idols that, 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 that were playing the game and I had players that I looked up to. I used to try and... I like John Collins as a player. When mm-hmm. I was younger, I used to look yeah. at John Collins and think... I used to go into games and try and do what he used to do. And then as I got a wee bit older... It was the Brazilian Ronaldo. I used to try and look at him and and um, and take things from him, his game. But in terms of influences on my career, um, my mum was without a doubt the biggest influence on my career. Sadly, she's not with us anymore. But um, she used to push me all the time. Um, but like I said earlier, I didn't I didn't need anyone. We had I had a football we had a pitch down the bottom of the street and. It, Used to, it was literally it was about forty a side on a on a hockey pitch, and it was being in that environment all the time where you where you're having to get yourself out of tight situations. I was I'm not gonna lie, I was quite greedy when I was younger. Like you with, with the ball, I was never taught possession football or passing it. I used to get the ball and just try and 
not make as many points as you could <laughs> and but okay. can't score. But it was it was like it was about forty a side on the, on a small pitch and it, and it was those environments that 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 sort of taught you how to get out of tight situations and um and I don't think you you're never gonna get that nowadays. But I didn't need any done, even if there wasn't forty boys down the bottom of the road playing, I didn't need them there, I just got a ball, just start picking up and try and beat my record non stop and just try and master the ball as, as much as I could. That was that was from a very early age anyway. Um so it was it was a good seat to have got in up in, definitely. See how obviously you you mentioned John Collins, eh, Tony. I've seen a lot of people all people these days give me a wee bit of, a wee bit of stick, but I think even if it's Celtic, I generally think that the way he talks the game, and I think obviously my dad's kind of spoke about how he, he was really good for Celtic, he was a good player and fitness freak, and he says he's actually really, the, the way he talks football, he's actually, it's a shame he's actually not in the game at the moment, because he does talk very well and he knows the game quite well. Yeah, I think I've heard, I've heard a, a few boys talking about um, the way he is now as a coach and um, but just when I from when I was when I was younger, I used to watch Celtic play. I used to, I liked how how calm on the ball he was, and um, he was confident in his own ability. And just off the top of my head, he's just one of the players I used to try and build my game on when I, when I was younger. I used to try and copy him in games and stuff like. That. Even though I'm not left footed, I, I liked the way the calmness that he had on the ball and the way he used the ball as well. Um, so I used to, I did I used to study study football quite a lot. I had this DVD when I was younger. It was five hundred and one Italian goals, and I just used to watch it over and over and over again, <laughs> just on repeat, and just try and copy things that, that players done. Um, so yeah, from from an early, an early age, he was somebody that I, that I had a look at, and then that changed as I got older. You see, even when you're also talking about that DVD stuff, see like. Hearing like yourself and other ex pros talk, it, it does seem a wee bit of a trend where the, the day things different, like the obsession, the day they look at stuff. But like, I don't say my I thought last was my head is so I would do last and celebrations. That's just but you didn't actually study your game and study football, you just played football, like you say, just in the park or in your street. But I think for me, I've noticed a trend like yourself and other guys to get to that level. You, uh, there's something different I think that you do it is very obsessive and you study the game and, and I think that's maybe new as you said that doesn't really happen anymore well no and it's weird it's even I try and think back about how like the whole Celtic thing actually happened um, as far as I was concerned when I was wee growing up like I was wanting to play for Celtic and that's what I wanted to do and I, I got picked up from a very young age, so I got picked up from the age of nine by a guy, uh, Davy Connor, um, who's sadly not with us anymore either. But Davy uh, took me into Celtic Boys Club when I was nine, and then so it wasn't like an academy or anything; mm-hmm. it was just a boys club, and then you worked your way through the age groups, um, and and it just felt just normal. Like this is this is where I'm meant to be, and one day I will become a, a Celtic player. Um, so I, I was there a long time, you know, I, I left Celtic eventually when I was 23, so I was there from the age of nine, right through to 23, um, but it's to- it was totally different back then from what it is now, um, obviously you've got academy and now it's all structured, but 
we just went out and played football and just enjoyed it. We played in red ash pitches and we played we played in all sorts of surfaces. Um, and it was uh, it was a good it was a good learning curve because you got to enjoy the game. It wasn't really that structured. Um, you just got to enjoy the game and then just see where it takes you. I I think as well. See, like now I think football is more like you say. You just played. You didn't, you didn't really get coached as a young age, like the way maybe kids do. Um, I think me and Robert have spoke about a lot how the structure, not just at Celtic, but in general, Robert Hannah, it's going to change the way kind of guys are brought up through the academies and stuff. I definitely, Ryan. I feel like nowadays everything's far too coached in football. Um, it's just like young boys with talent and skill and I would let them express themselves but I feel now it's more coached out them it's about taking two touches and passing and moving the Barcelona Guardiola way um, and I just feel a lot of people are trying to do the exact same thing or the Ajax way whereas like probably a young guy like let's say Karamoko Dembele the new Celtic they're probably coaching him a bit too much and not letting the boy express himself with the talent he has and maybe that's why the boys now looking at what to move on for Celtic, because it's overcoached and try to change him into a different player than what he actually is. And um, that's just my thought on modern day football. But modern day football is, as we agree, we thought before, line it's not as good as uh, the way it used to be. Too much money involved in it. You see, obviously, Tony, when you signed, but obviously, for your youth day, did you always stay in Dicks? When you were in the youth days, kind of when you go to the professional level, were you in the dugs at that stage or were you still staying at home? No, I just stayed at home the full time. Before I signed my S form with Celtic, I was only joined St Johnson. I was training with, with Murrow and Bundy United as well. Flew um, down to Aston Villa with a couple other boys as well. Um, so I had a few options open at the time. Uh, and I tried them out, but I was never, I was never in the situation. If I, if I went to St Johnston, then I would have probably had to stay in, uh, in Diggs uh, with a couple of other boys that went through there. But um, I chose Celtic, and I didn't have to do that, um, thankfully. Um, so yeah, and as as you were talking about earlier on, when we were talking about um, boys getting overcoached. I'm actually doing my A license just now in my youth pro. I was all right. I coached in at Celtic for two years as well, and I think it's just about striking the balance between overcoaching and letting boys go and express themselves. I think that, and this is just my opinion, I think there's certain boys where you just let them go, you know what I mean? Just the, the likes of Karamoko and, and, and the boys that have got that talent to just sort of unlock the key um, and defences. I think there's certain boys you just let them go. Uh, and rein them in every, every now and again but I do agree that um, you do need to strike that balance of just letting the boys play and, and coaching them just now because the game has definitely changed now it's 100% there's no doubt about that You can see obviously um, you see the Dennis Tainer digs but was it still kind of like obviously you hear guys like Sam Fenner all talking about how the youth days was my better days. Was that the kind of same as you growing up with the guys you played with all the time? Basically, just your best pals at that level. My experience in the youth team was was unbelievable. It was phenomenal. Um, I know Sai well. He was um, a couple of years younger than me. 
when we actually coached together as well for two years at Celtic. We used to get boys from, there used to be a, a big influx of, of boys from Ireland. Uh, all right. And they were all mental, all crazy. And what a laugh it was. I don't think that goes on uh, as much. I don't think Celtic have got that relationship with other mm-hmm. clubs anymore. I don't think that, that, that goes on too much. But we used to get boys for Dundee, like Sai, and boys for Aberdeen, and boys for, for Ireland. And it was just... It was, it was mental. It was really, it was a really good time. It was a good laugh, um, especially the boys for the island are just off their heads. Um, and there was that element of fun. You went, you went, you went into your work, and you, you really, really looked forward to it. And that's 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 key as well. I also think that's went out of the game massively as well. I see academy boys at the same age that I was, and there's just not that camaraderie anymore, I might be wrong don't quote me mm. that, but that's just what I see with my own eyes and you need to be able to enjoy what you're doing, you need to be able to have a laugh what you're doing, if you're not having a laugh mm. then you're not enjoying it, you're not going to go up your potential I don't think I think, I think me, me, after I spoke about it myself, I think Robert spoke about it as well obviously we didn't play obviously to the level you played at Tony but even when we played Saturday or Sunday you enjoyed that camaraderie side that you enjoyed just it was just being with your pals in a sense playing football and I think that I, I think that is missing um, as you say I don't, obviously we don't know the ins and outs maybe you might know where us but we don't know obviously about his own in academy stuff but when you hear when you hear guys talking about it now back then you used to clean the boots and do this and it was all it was all it was mere to get to that stage to get to the first team and in with the first team and all the, I think it's changed now, Robert, how it's, we spoke about that in a, a podcast recently, how it's all changed totally for the way, what maybe guys like Tony and Sam Ferry were, and to know that the guys are, as you says, they've all got cars, they've all got this, and don't really earn their stripes now, I, I agree with what we're saying, Ryan, um, we're just saying, Tony, that um, in modern football now, you wouldn't get young players cleaning a stand or cleaning a like a first team player's boots and I think that made a lot of young players humble in a way. I think nowadays social media and too much money in the game, a lot of them haven't got the desire and hunger really to go on and develop themselves because there's guys like probably Man U's, US, Chelsea's, Man City's, they're millionaires and you'll never even hear of them in the modern day football but they're no caring because they're maybe on 10, 12 grand a week at an under 23 level whereas like yourself and Cy Ferry and that, you had to earn, earn your living and he's probably more respectful um, A football back then that you had to do to get to the professional level to really make a career out of it. It's huge and it really gets to me, actually. See, I didn't know the levels of, um, of that going on in academies. I, I, I genuinely thought that the kids still had, had duties and, and still had work to do, uh, but hearing that they don't have that is it's a massive no-no because... Um, again, football's a football's a disciplined sport. It, it's um, it, it gives you that discipline having to do chores and clean the, the, the first team players' boots. And we used to have to sweep the changing rooms, pick up the, the slips, pick up there was some manky jobs at the Celtic Park we used to have to do. And John Clark, that's still there, Clarky wouldn't let us train some days until it was all done. 
him and Clarkie and Willie McStay and Clarkie used to fight after they saw the before training. Because Willie were like, are they okay? The boys need to go and train. And Clarkie was always like, no, the, the duties aren't done yet. They, they, they need done. So Clarkie um, knew what that discipline was going to give to us as players. And to hear that that doesn't go on in the academies anymore, it's just unbelievable. Um, it's here on a football pitch. The best football teams have players that, get, that show respons- responsibility on the pitch. So if you aren't giving jobs out with and you're not giving any responsibility out with football, how are you ever going to show that on the football pitch? So I don't get that at all. That's, that's strange. I think that needs to come back. And I think that should, that should maybe come from the top down and make sure that all the boys are given jobs to do. Because it definitely needs responsibility. Um, absolutely. Have you any funny stories, Tony, from your youth days at Celtic? The fun reason, obviously. <laughs> uh, like maybe a senior player or some of your teammates getting pranked or something along the lines? Well, my first day, my, I'm not mention his name, but my first day in the, the academy, I was told to clean the tunnel. Right, so I'd, I'd sign my S1, I was told, told to clean the tunnel, so I'm in the tunnel at Celtic Park with a brush, cleaning the tunnel, like that, right? <laughs> my, my shoulders, my arms are screaming, I'm there about an hour and a half later, right, I'm putting them up in the bucket and I've got a brush, the tunnel's not being cleaned in the club's history, <laughs> I, was, I was told this was done on a regular basis, so I'm, I'm sweat's absolutely lashing off me and I've turned round. And I've heard a few of the boys laughing. And uh, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, all right, I'll better just do this. I've been told to do it. I'll just crack on. I've turned around and all the boys, they're lying. They're rolling about in knots and pennies dropped. And I went, hold on, this doesn't even need done. I've been there an hour and a half. Trying to <laughs> I, I, I says I wouldn't mention his name, but it was Joe Hayes. Joe Hayes used to be the kit man there. He, he was a player as well. And... And Hazy had me clean the tunnel, and if he's listening, he'll probably get a laugh out of this because the tears were streaming down his face. I'll never forgive him for it. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. But, sorry, you, you were getting stitched up all the time, and um, the first team that were there uh, under Martin O'Neill, it was the School of Hard Knocks, and you probably heard the stories about Sutty and Tomo and Lenny and all that. They just terrorised the young boys and... Um, but it was all it was all part of your learning curve. You never ever took it personally. So it was good. It was a good experience. Here under obviously you said it was O'Neill, that was the year you were there. See like when they go to the first team, did you train with the first team quite a lot then? Uh, obviously I ran all the guys, see even as a youth player. Obviously at that level you're still thinking I'm I'm deserving to be there, I'm just training hard, but do you think actually training with him first time you're like well, there's Larson, there's Sutton. For me, that'd be amazing. See, just to hear these stories, I think it's amazing. It's just to find out how that was, I think it'd be brilliant, man. It'd be some experience, even if that was just all you did in your career, just to do that. That's just to tell me, guys, and I think you would learn so much by, by doing that. It was phenomenal, but it really was. It was brilliant. Yeah, we used to train with him quite a lot, actually. Um Obviously, there was more regular ones. The boys that were right on the on the verge of the first team we used to train with them quite a lot, um, a lot more often than some of the boys like myself that 
that were just sort of on the outskirts of things, but it was different back then because everyone used to get changed at, at Celtic Park um, and then drive down to Barrafield and train down to mm-hmm. Barrafield. So now I don't know exactly what it's like for Lennox Town. I don't know if the youth team are separated from the, the first team, but because you were sharing the stadium with these players and you were having lunch with them and you were training with them, it didn't. It wasn't such a, a daunting thing when you went to go and train with them. And the way they were as well, they made you feel like you were one of them. It wasn't a, there wasn't even any that, that big time Charlie's like, oh, you don't belong here, you shouldn't be here, wee man. It was, they welcomed it. Uh, they were all good pros and I think it obviously would have been different going twin with the first team, I think. That would have been a... Uh, what was I experienced managed to experience that a couple of times and, and a couple of testimonials, but um, the guys were the guys were brilliant. They were so they made you feel welcome. Um, so it was it was weird. I should looking back on it now, it's amazing thinking about it. But at the time you're in there working with them every day, mm-hmm. you're cleaning the boots, you're chatting to them, so you didn't ever feel no part of it. You know what I mean? You see, obviously, like obviously mentioned. Sutty and Tomo, you obviously watch the open goal and you hear other guys talking about how they were and I've met I've met them a few times at like speakers doing and stuff and I can just tell they would have they would have they would have caused a lot of havoc. <laughs> aye, it was I got quite heated sometimes. Um like trying to remember Tomo's a managing getting cut up one day and uh, in the dressing room <laughs> and him and Sutty were grabbing each other by the throat and it was got a bit heated but that used that stuff used to go on all the time. Um but they were just they were just good pros and they, they did um I think if you if you were a young boy and you can give them a wee bit back as well, they, they respected that. I wasn't so much like that. I was a wee I didn't used to, used to used to give it out a lot. I used to just sort of take it um and just and just go along with it. I was more, I was more a wee bit. My head was a wee bit more screwed on than, than some of the boys. But it was a brilliant experience looking back on it. And it was some of the players in that changing room were fen- were phenomenal. But I was also there before that. Um, now when when Mark Viduka was there. Mm-hmm. All right. There as well. Hi Tony. Um... Your top youth players alongside you at the time you were playing, who would you have singled out? Um, in terms of like, being outstanding in, in my age group, obviously below my age group, you had Aidan McGeady, you had Charlie Mulgrew, um, Jim O'Brien, Ryan Conroy, Rocco Quinn, all those boys. Um, obviously, Aidan went on, had an, an unbelievable career, as did Charlie, and a few of the other boys are still playing now, but um, and I'm still I still keep in contact with those boys, but with my my age group, um, I was good pals with Simon Lynch and Sean Maloney. Um, All right. Sean was a unbelievable talent. Um, sorry, Ross Wallace as well. Forgot to mention um, Steve McManus, John Kennedy. But I remember doing ball boy. We used to do ball boy for the first team quite a lot down at um, down at Barrafield, and Sean got asked to join in one day. Um, because they were short numbers, and he just he absolutely tore it up. I think he, he I think he not Meg Big Mialbi, who wasn't too happy at the time. Um, and he put a few in the top corner. And he had a brilliant um, training session, and for that day on, 
Sean was in the first team, he completely skipped reserve football, youth football almost, and went straight into the first team. Um, see for a wee guy, what a player he was, unbelievable. Do you feel, Tony? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, do you feel that that was a wee bit of luck that maybe Sean had needed at that time? Yeah, you, you absolutely need a wee bit of luck. There's no doubt about it, but you've, you've got to take your chance when you get it. Yeah. And, and Sean was a very, he's a very single-minded boy. He's uh, not a boy anymore, but back then, um, he knew what he wanted. Um, also, Mark Fotheringham, he was in my team at the time, very single-minded. Simon uh, Lynch was very single-minded as well. So, although football's a team sport, it's, a, it's, it's the most single-minded team sport in the world as well, because you you need to be ready for, for your opportunity and you need to be ready to take it and Sean was an unbelievable talent uh, for a small player um, so sharp on the ball he had everything in his game could hit free kicks good at, good at passing as well he had everything um, so he really he really stood out in, in the age group and, and took his chance with both hands I can see obviously you were saying how but uh, kind of single-minded. Obviously, I know it's a, as you say, it's a team sport, but do you think that's, that's why guys like yourself, you kind of get to that level because you are really you're determined. And I think maybe, I had maybe some guys, like maybe myself, when I was on my thought I was decent. You can good reports and, and I, I did kind of pave away. And do you think maybe some guys, because you're so single-minded and you're determined that you stick to it and I think that's maybe why like guys like yourself because you're training all the time and you're trying to practice all the time getting yourself better and you're training with guys who are really good so for me I think that would step you up as well seeing the, 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 the guys playing well and you're going to be I want, I want, I want that to be me as well 100% you, you do get, I used to get um, very motivated by other players doing well and, and training with the first team and see, in all honesty, it probably took me a lot longer than, than other guys. Um, some players mature quicker uh, than others. If I'm being brutally honest with myself, it probably took me a wee bit longer to mature in terms of like, football maturity. Um, I've seen Sean going into the first team, and I've seen Aidan go into the first team, uh, Big Charlie going into the first team, uh, Liam Miller as well going into the first team, and just being so confident in their own ability and just taking it by storm. I would make, if I was critical of myself, I would probably say that um, I never ever thought I wasn't good enough, but at the same time, I probably wasn't ready at the, the same time that they were as well, looking back on it. I there was a lot more in my game that I still had to improve on. Um, so I think if you're young and, and you've got a good head in your shoulders and you've got a mature head in your shoulders and you're, and you're playing first team football, you've got a great opportunity to go and make a good career of it. I mean, I didn't, like I said, I, I didn't leave Celtic until I was 23 and I had very little first team experience, just reserve football. In hindsight, um, I should have definitely I went on loan and got first team experience elsewhere, but I was in a bubble. I was in a bubble that I didn't want to come out of, and and that was that was probably detrimental to my career and in, in my earlier days, uh, my team. And the, the, I had the opportunity as well a couple of times, but I seen boys going on loan and then coming back and still getting froze out. And I thought, well, what's the point? Mm -hmm. I may as well just stay put. But 
if I had maybe had the, the, uh, some better advice around me when I was younger, all it would have taken from was to somebody go, listen, get yourself out and loan, go and get some first team football, go and play at a decent level and come back and see where you're at. But in fairness, I didn't really get that advice when I was younger, so it's important to have good people around about you as well. I can see, obviously, you were saying how uh, getting good advice. See, see, like, like Tommy Burns and that there as well at the time with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, I'm guessing some of the advice they gave you would have been. Obviously, you hear the stories of Tommy Burns, and obviously, sadly, he's not with us. But I think that that I think you can uh, you can uh, crop a youths in that era. I think they must experience some sort of coaching. But where Burns O'Neill obviously mentioned the team with Mark Ludwig was there. And John Clark and the Catman and just legends at the club, and I think to have that around you for me, that's that's some start of a career because, and that for me, that's only going to make you make you better. As you say, guys, you were brought up, you were brought up as to be a good person, disciplined, and that kind of made you a, a football player and it made you progress as a, a player. And I think that's for me, that's brilliant to have to know that you guys were really about you giving you advice because I don't think that advice is really there anymore. I don't think there's a lot, as you said, you mentioned the camaraderie, but obviously we've heard about Burns would have been about the squad, and I, don't, I think that's missing from the coaches now, I think it's too serious. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you're right. I mean, Tom, I had lots of dealings with Tommy, and you probably know he had a bad story about Tommy. He was just a phenomenal person. Um, and I'm probably one boy in a, in a long list of many others that have said that Tommy gave you... Um, some good advice or if he gave you praise you felt about 10 foot tall he was mm-hmm. he was a big influence on my career when I was younger but every coach brought something different we had loads, loads of good coaches around about the place at the time um, Willie McStay was my coach for a long time and he was great with us and then into reserve football was Kenny McDowell and, and Danny McGrain as well and they were all just brilliant in, in their own way um, so yeah I think it was I think that's maybe the reason why I'm still playing just now and, uh, is that you took on so much information and so much advice for these guys that it just sort of drives you on and it was definitely a good upbringing. I wouldn't regret anything about it, apart from not going on loan a wee bit earlier. I can see obviously what you're talking about can I maybe think about going on loan. Do you know how it's about obviously you're in a bubble? Do you know how maybe you actually thought you maybe learn more training with the guys and maybe getting a shot the first team than maybe going on loan because obviously training with the guys and the coaches I think if, if I was there I think I'd have been like you I, thought, I think it'd be hard for me to leave because you're training with these what's the fair they were kind of superstars the first team at that time um, and obviously the manager O'Neill and well let me stay we've seen how, how well I be done at Celtic and I think it would have, for me I think yeah, I'd have maybe been like you just to be in that surroundings in that bubble It'd have been brilliant. Obviously, you want to get first team experience, but just to have that experience of being in with the guys, I think that's just, it's only going to make you a better player, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to answer, actually, because at the same, the same time, you are training with these guys and you're learning so much, and the men at the end of the day, it, was, it wasn't a young squad. Um, I played right wing, so that was my position at the time, but I had three guys in front of me. I had um, Agat, uh, Jamie Smith and Momo Silla in front of me. So 
and they would all run through a brick wall for Mark Neil at the time, so it was a very very difficult season for that time to break into him. Um, and it, like you said, it was, it's, it's a lot different now than what it was back then. I don't think it was necessarily great for us back then because I just think, see if you're young um, enough and you're good enough, I think you should just go and play first-team football because it's not... Your career doesn't isn't defined just by just by Celtic. It's about mm. once you get the end, of the end of your career. It's about how many games have you played over the course of your career. Um, and I think I think with the money, I wasn't ever I wasn't ever money motivated and at all when I was younger. It was just about playing football. Um, but I think for young guys now with the money that's flying about in the game, I think that. I think you should be looking to play, be playing first-team football about 18, 19. It might be take you a wee bit longer, but for me, 23 was way too long. I said I either left when I was 20 or went went on loan when I was when I was that age, but they seen something there and they, they, they kept offering me contracts and I thought, well, why not? I'll just do it. But looking back on it, it wasn't, it wasn't right. I should have left a wee bit earlier. Uh, and just gained that first team experience because eventually I, I went to Barnsley and then I was playing in front of big crowds and going, what is this? We, I mean, we used to play our reserve games at Celtic. We used to play Airdrie on a Monday night. There would only be a handful of folk watching the game. So you cannot, you can't replicate that that first team experience playing on the pitch in front of big crowds um, in a competitive league. Yeah, it was great at the time, but that can be replicated. I think you should be looking to play first team football as, as early as you can. Because obviously, obviously you left Celtic and went to Barnsley. And how how different was it playing? At, you know, obviously, I know Barnsley still a decent team, but moving for Celtic, maybe the bubble and Celtic down down south was it a was it? Can I, obviously you're still quite young at the time. Was it a major change to leave Celtic and be all these superstars going down to Barnsley? change for me because I'd never been away from home um, and I just met my girlfriend at the time and we just made the, the, the opportunity to come up to go down there and we just made the decision we'll just, we'll, okay, we'll just do it um, I thoroughly enjoyed it at, at Barnsley I, I thoroughly enjoyed it down south I wish I'd stayed there um, if I could have stayed there longer I, w- I would have definitely have done it was a great experience they live for their football down there as well, uh, and you're playing in front of decent crowds week in, week out as well. Um, obviously, I had a few challenges there um, through injury and, and what have you. Um, Gordon Smith was my agent at the time, and he left to go and take the SFA job, which meant mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody to represent me, so it was hard for me to get another club down there um, after after Wickham. So if I could turn back the clock, I'd love to have stayed down there as well. Um but the difference between going for Celtic to Barnsley was like the uh, Moor Academy was a wee bit away from from any supporters or anything like that. So see when you're see when I was young at Celtic, you're eighteen and you come out of Celtic Park and before you drive down to Barrafield you've got support you used to have supporters waiting outside the stadium and you're you're signing autographs and all that at the age of seventeen, eighteen, you've not even made a first team appearance yet. It, it wasn't it wasn't great because you're thinking you've cracked it and you've no mm-hmm. you're, you're no anywhere near it. Do you know what I mean? So I think 
it's a good thing for academy players to be away from the first team and earn that right to go and sign autographs and speak to supporters and all that. It was definitely it was different. Uh, I don't think it was a good thing. Because Robin, I think me and Rob have, have spoken about before, obviously how maybe the way the English see the football to Scotland, it's different. Um, I don't know if Robert was what I mentioned, how obviously from moving Celtic to down south, I think it's, for me, I think it, obviously for Tony Robert, it was a massive change and I think it's, it was for me, obviously Tony will answer it, but I think that, that might have helped his game in down south and actually been out the bubble. It's a, it's a bubble and as Tony said, he's a Celtic fan ourselves, so it's so hard to give something like that up, I would say. Um, but to me, it's sometimes you've got to mature as a man and take yourself out of your comfort zones. I don't know how Tony feels on that, but if I was given, say, my wee boy grew up to be a football player, that's the advice I'd try and give him. Um, nowadays, just for watching Celtic, experience, uh, watching players come through at Celtic, um, probably all different clubs. If you support that club, it's hard to walk away from it. But sometimes you've got to take a step back to go too forward in life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate um, and I, um, I commend boys that are able to take themselves, have, have that maturity uh, to take myself out, themselves out that bubble and go and get first team football elsewhere. I didn't. I would like I said I wasn't mature enough to make that decision. I found it. I found it hard to come mm-hmm. away from that bubble because like, it was a club that I loved. It was a club I wanted to play for. And I always thought, oh, maybe there's a chance, maybe there's a chance of getting there. But, and it never materialised. So if I was mature enough back then, I would have went, do you know what, this probably isn't going to happen. Um, I'm going to try and move on. And I, like, I've got nothing but admiration for boys that are able to do that. And maybe that was just an indication of that, that I wasn't ready for for Celtic at that time, you know. Um, but I, I love the move. The, the move for Barnsley was, was great for me. Some boys don't get to experience football down south at all. And I got to, I got a taste of that. I wanted more of it, but I got a taste for it. And um, and it was definitely it was an experience I'll never forget. The, uh, it was a good club, Barnsley. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I enjoyed my time at Wickham as well. Paul Lambert took me to Wickham at the time. Um, who I, I used to clean boot, his, his boots at Celtic and um, so I was there for a short period and maybe not have played as many games as I'd have liked to in, in both at both clubs but it was still a great experience I never regret going down there it was great See obviously um, working with Barnsley it's obviously the level for Celtic how how was it different the standard down there? Was it totally different for the Scottish game at the time? Obviously, the Scottish game at the time was kind of booming at the time. Rangers were very good at the time. And was it was it much different, or was it really? I was it much different for the standard of Scottish football back then to, to the down south. Well, no, not not really. Actually, we when I was in when I went down to Barnsley, we played in League One, and then. In, a, in my first season, we, we went to the playoffs. We beat Swans in the playoffs and we get promoted to the championship. But in terms of the quality of the player, um, it wasn't that much different from from the Scottish League. But what I, doubt, I did find funny and I did find different was 
having speaking to some of the boys in the changing rooms at Barnsley, we used to have wee conversations, and I used to try and have wee conversations with them and say, what if a Hearts come in for you, or what if an Aberdeen come in for you, would you, would you give it a go up in Scotland? Because a lot of these boys have mm-hmm. never played up in Scotland before, they've been down south all their careers, and some of them used to turn their nose up at it and go, nah, no chance, I'd, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in Aberdeen, or I wouldn't go in out of Hearts. Um, and I used to find that incredible because they're big clubs, and bigger, mm-hmm. bigger, I would say, than like Barnsley or, or Wickham. But a lot of these boys um, would, were, were turning their nose at the, up at the thought of it. Uh, and I think they don't realise that there's some big clubs up in Scotland and it's, uh, it's a lot harder than what people make it out to be. So there is definitely a, a snobbery about it down south, about about it down south, and I I thought that was that was quite strange how some of them wouldn't even consider a move up to Scotland. Um, so I, I, I that was just something I want to share with you. I feel that way as well, Tony. No, obviously football, but see, like just what with a lot of people from down south, they have a lot of arrogance towards Scottish football. And I know it's not the greatest league in the world and I know the standard's not the best, but you know what it is? It's real football to me. Down there, it's like, they've not got real support, if you know what I mean. They've got a lot of support, but up here, the passion for football is still like it's been for years ago. When I was down in England, I think it's changed a lot. Just the passion in the crowds and, you know what I mean? There's like bodies falling three and four rows up and down in away games. Down there, they're, they're clapping and high-fiving their mate next to them. And I just feel... I wouldn't change Scottish football out for all the money in the world, just the way it is, just the raw passion and excitement yet. Um, I know it's always a two-horse race, but down there I just feel money's took over a wee bit and it's just became a snobby sport down there. I don't know what your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's so tactical now and it's so it's so technical. They're all they're like chess matches now, down, uh, the games down south. I like to watch the English Premier League uh, just for that side of things because I'm doing my A-licence mm-hmm. I like to look at the tactical and technical side of it but see if you gave me the option of watching a, a Scottish Premier League game over the English Premier League I'd watch a Scottish Premier League game all, all day long I think that you get an honesty from from teams up here they might not be technically um, brilliant but you get an honesty from them and teams can make life really difficult for you and, and as a Celtic are finding out just now if you're not on your metal and if you're not playing well teams up here will make life difficult for you and just by sheer endeavour and sheer hard work and um, and it's funny because some of the guys that were saying I wouldn't fancy going to an Aberdeen with hearts they probably wouldn't have got in the team anyway <laughs> um, so yeah it was yeah give me, a, give me a Scottish game over an English game all day long because obviously, um, after working with you up here, we were missing. Um, obviously, I've seen me bits, and you, you can say that was kind of a very enjoyable spell for you. Um, I kind of, I wanted some of the guys you played. Obviously, Griffiths, Snodgrass, obviously Graham Dorans. They are they guys. I, I think that be they. They've obviously not went on and done some. Obviously, Griffiths at it's Snodgrass, and I've heard as well that that for me that change room is a lot of Casamada as well, and the change room then. Yeah, it was. It was a joyful time for me. Um, I'd actually fell out of love with the game for a wee while. Um, 
for various different things. It's difficult to put my finger on why. Maybe coming up from mm-hmm. uh, down south and the, the, just the, a few things had happened, but um, that was an enjoyable time for me. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Snoddy was there only for a couple of weeks. Is that when I joined? He joined Leeds not that long after, so I got All to right. Didn't actually get to play with him or Dorans because him and Dorans left at the same time. But it was a good squad that year. Um, Griffiths was in the team uh, as a young boy uh, with boys like Murray Davison, who's at St Johnston now, Liam Fox, James McTake, who's the Dundee uh, Dundee manager. Um, and it was a good squad of players. But it was it was a funny time as well because it was the Italians that took over. Um, not that long after, I sorry, mm-hmm. I was Italian that, that took over when I went there, and, and that was a that was a crazy experience. Um, it was a good squad, and we got off to a flyer um, when I first went, but a few things started to happen, started to unfold as the season went on. I think obviously in recent times, and it's all about the officer hearts through that kind of, and you've heard of obviously a few funny stories you put the hearts either, but I think. Uh, Tony, I think that must have but that not been hard for you but on the park when that was going on or as soon as you pass that white line it's just football and try and win the game Yeah um, that's that's what I'm saying about football and football you need luck sometimes and, and a, a lot of the times as I was doing it seemed to always be when you're doing well when you're on the crest of a wave you either get injured or something happens with the club and that always seemed to happen to me during my uh, during my career, I can never really go season after season of like of consistency. And um, I think we went we went about three months. We were all full time. Uh, we went about three months without any pay, any pay, any wages. And that was a difficult period, especially for the boys that had young families and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, there was also thing like because of the Italians that, that took over, uh, we used to train at three o'clock in the afternoon as well. Because in Italy, as far as I'm aware, that's what they do. They trade the teams train at the, at the same time as the games to um, customize, acclimatize their, their bodies for mm-hmm. match day on a Saturday, and that was totally new for us. Um, and a few of the boys weren't happy with it because you because then you if you're based in Glasgow, you're hitting the rush hour traffic on the way home at five o'clock and. It was just there was a lot of different things that they tried to implement in terms of diet, in terms of training time, and stuff like that. And then obviously, um, word was spreading that the club were going to going to administration. And eventually, that happened. So it was a topsy turvy season. Uh, but again, it was uh, it was it was a good experience as well because it was a good team we played in. And, um, it was a young Griffiths as well who's come on leaps and bounds now since then. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was just different experiences, but it was a good time for me at Livy. I enjoyed it. The fans were great also. Would you make it out though? I've got a 23 year coat. Would you like that? <laughs> I've heard some funny stories, Tony. Um, is it true that they sent me Griffiths not earlier to train me an Italian team and stuff? I think Griffiths. As sparky as I knew, knew him back then, that uh-huh. was, he went over and trained with Palmer for, for, two, for two weeks, I think. I, I also think I had the option at the time as well, but um, he was dead raw uh, when he came into the first team. He was um, 
but you could tell with his his absolute bombs in his boots as soon as he lifted up that left peg, nine times out of ten it would hit the back of the net. Sometimes you were in games where you just didn't feel a goal coming from anywhere and Griffiths was able to get you a goal out of nowhere and he still got that in his locker now. But yeah, he the Italian owners managed to get him a trial at Parma and a, and a couple of other boys as well. But the difficulty about training at three o'clock in the afternoon was is we were all used to training at ten o'clock every morning, so you you'd get in that routine over the years. So training at three o'clock, you were sitting twiddling your thumbs till about two o'clock every day, and then training at that time. So it was just different for us, and there's a lot of things that the boys just weren't used to. But um, we quickly turned that around. I think I think we had a, a team meeting in the dressing room. I think James McTague led it and then um, we managed to change the training times back back for us just to make us happy again. The boys it made the dressing room happy again. We started winning again. So, yeah. Was there anything good that you learned after that? Obviously, you said a lot of bad experience, but was there anything that you took and thought, well, that's quite a good idea and that you can now think of into your own coaching roles? Um, if I'm being brutally honest, probably not. Um <laughs> Roberto Landy was was a manager, um, and he was such a nice guy. He was a great guy, but the coaching was honking. It really was. It was, and I don't even know if it was because he struggled to get his point across. But mm-hmm. I don't. I think it's just different cultures. I, I think you 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 find that with with different uh, with foreign managers coming over here trying to get their point across. He spoke. I mean, he spoke good English, but. Um, when you when you make drastic changes to the way boys have used have been used to brought up and it's never going to end well. It never does end well. I think it was maybe the same with Kilmarnock manager not that long ago. Alessio was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing happened there as well. Where big ideas and big changes and wasn't able to get his message across. That ended up happening because. Uh, but we stuck together as a group and, and we got on with it. But um, I've not got a bad word to say about uh, Roberto Landy. He was, he was a, such a lovely guy, really nice guy. It just didn't work out in the end. You see, obviously, you were mentioning like, Italians. Was that no kind of uh, very strange? So obviously, you were talking about the change of diet and training. I'm a, I think that must have been, it might have hurt you a big, big, big. Turn of bricks, like wait a minute here. This is this is quite heavy handed right away. As you said, you're used to training at that time, and would that affect guys' performances? Would that happening at the time because there was a lot of information going on at the time, or was it just as it was just the way of life back then? Um, I think it, um, not not from a personal point of view, it never mm-hmm. really affected my performance because I, I had a good time there and I played well, and the, and the team played well as well. I think we were, we were a bunch of honest boys and it was a case of as soon as you cross that white line you just go out and, and you do what you're used to um, it didn't really affect us on the pitch that much um, maybe maybe started to affect us on the pitch when all the administration things came in but you're a professional footballer and you get paid to do um, what you're asked really whether it's uh, on, whether it's Italian managers or whether it's a Scottish manager you just go on with it and you try and be as professional as you can but um, 
it was a shame what happened then uh, with a club because it is a good club, Livy. It was it was a good club. Really enjoyed it. And then obviously, oh, you played like Queens, uh, Queens Park, Queen of the South, and Junior. How how was it obviously playing at Hamden at Queens Park? That must have been brilliant. And obviously, you played with can at Robertson and Shackland. That must have been obviously Shackland's United doing Robertson. I don't know what Andrew Robertson's done. Was was could you tell back then, or did was, did they just work very very hard to get to where he is? Um, no, I thought I thoroughly enjoyed it. Queens Park it was a good time for me. Um, as for, as for Andy, I don't think anybody out with Andy Robertson would be able to envisage what, what he's done in his career. It's been a, a meteoric rise to, to where he is now. And all the credit goes to him because um, when you can, I mean, you can never imagine him playing, winning the Champions League and the Premier League with Liverpool and, and being a consistent performer in that Liverpool team. Uh, the way he is, but when you look back on it, and I, when I used when I look back on the way he was, because he was only young at the time, um, he was just full of enthusiasm, loads of enthusiasm. He was always first on the training pitch, playing uh, heavy tennis for about an hour before before training. Um, he'd always he'd always a good energy about him, and and see if you've got that. See if you've got that. Ability aside, ability is just a small portion of what you need to be a professional footballer. Mm-hmm. Like his game has come on unbelievably since since he since he moved on to Queens Park, and he's obviously learned a, a lot off other coaches. But he did he had that raw enthusiasm. He always good energy, good fitness, um, and that that can take you a long way. Um, and obviously, he's he's a, he's a very level-headed boy, Andy as well. Um, I think he got let go of Celtic when he was younger, but that never affected him. And that I think that says a lot because I think when some young boys get let go of either Celtic Rangers when they're younger, it can affect them of being uh, of that just that rejection. But it, it never seemed to get to him at all, and um, he deserves everything that he's uh, that he's got. He's, he's worked his socks off for it, and he's turned into a, a great player. Do you feel? Tony, do you feel that the best thing that could have happened to Andy Robertson's career was to be released for Celtic at a young age, to then give him the determination to push on and make a career for himself? Possibly, aye, possibly. Um, like I said, like you need to be really single-minded, and you can't let things affect you when you're younger. Um, but he's it, obviously, he's obviously a very mentally strong boy and you need to be mentally strong um, to be let go for Celtic Rangers when, when you're younger because they're such big clubs and um, I think that what he's done has been, been incredible and it was a good squad that year actually cause, and I think when you've got a good squad it, it can push other members on as well, we obviously we had Lorne Shankland in there um, we had Aidan Conley who's now at Falkirk Blair Spittle, um, who's now at Bar- Partick Thistle. Um, a lot of boys that moved on and, and, and had good careers out of that squad. And um, Gardner Spears was our manager. I had her playing really good football that season as well. So I think I think a lot of credit has to go to Gardner as well. And he doesn't get spoke about much mm-hmm. um, in this, but he brought that squad through. Um, I had her playing some, some really nice football. And I think a lot of the young boys 
benefiting from his coaching and their, their freedom to go and express themselves every weekend. So I thought it was worth mentioning him. You see, obviously, I think well, if my research is right, were Rangers in the league that year? Was that the league they went down? Do you think if Rangers were in the air, do you think you might actually win the league that season with that squad? Well, we, we eventually we got into the playoff against Peterhead. Um, the, the Rangers games were great experiences for us because mm-hmm. um, I think both games, I think the two games I was involved in, I, I might not have been involved in, in the first one because I joined a wee bit later on in the season. But there were practically two houses, the one at Hamden and the one at Highbrooks. And, and, in that, and we, we acquitted ourselves really well in, the, in both games. We came out first five, ten minutes, played some brilliant football. I think one of, them, one of the games ended up 4-1. I think it was the one at Highbrooks. But the one at Hamden ended up 1-0 that they won. And they scored in the last minute. Um, but just experiences like that for, for, that, for that, that young team that we had at the time it was great for their, their development. Um, it's hard to say whether we'd, we'd have won the league or not, but it was it was a good season. Really enjoyed it. Your best player you played against, Tony, and the um, best player you've played against, to be settings. And who's the best player you played with? Um, I, I don't ever. I don't ever remember getting an absolute torrid off of somebody. Do you know what I mean? But like. In, <laughs> Two players stuck, stuck, stick out in my mind, right? Probably the, be- the the biggest star that I've ever come up against was Gareth Bale when I was at Barnsley. He was at Southampton. He was oh. a young boy at Southampton. He was only 18. And people were talking about him, talking about this boy's going to be the next best thing. I actually came on the last 15 minutes of the game and I was directly up against him. Um, and I couldn't believe how quick he was. It was ridiculous. The guy was an absolute joke, how quick he was. And you could tell then. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it. So he's probably, probably the biggest star that I've came up against. The best player I've ever played against. And this might be a wee bit of a... a, 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 a not your obvious choice, but probably Lee Trundle at uh, Swansea. He scored a lot of goals, didn't he? Aye. It was it was a joke. His skill levels were an absolute joke, and the, the younger generation uh, probably not got a clue who he is. But um, you need a YouTube videos of this guy. We, we played against ones a few times. We were in the league at that time, and I was at Barnsley. And um, his skills were ridiculous. I loved the way he used to play the game. He used to just play the game like he was playing on the street with his pals and. Uh, just had such confidence in his ability, and uh, I just I, I I loved playing against players like that, and loved seeing players like that. He was he was a breath of fresh air, and you don't see many players like that anymore. Um, and you'll probably no thank me for well, you might thank me for saying this, but probably the best player I've played with is is Aidan McGeady. Um, I think a, a few boys would maybe share those views as well. I thought. I was decent until I seen him. Um, I thought I'd a few skills in, in my locker until I seen Aiden. Um, actually, Aiden went to the same school as me, um, St. Ninian's High School in Eastwood, and I always remember this wee guy who was a couple, a few years younger than me. Um, and 
people used to say, oh, he's quite slight and he's quite small, is he going to make it, is he going to do this and he's going to do that, but he's, his skill is, is incredible uh, for a young age. Um, anybody, I don't think I've ever spoke to anyone that hasn't said he's got the best feet that they've ever seen, and it was just pure natural ability. It's hours and hours of practice um, on his own, and I think we... Aiden as well used to, if you were getting a, a 1v1 with him, you, you knew what he was going to do with the ball, but you just you couldn't stop it. He used to do that, get you in that wee duel, mm-hmm. and then use the wee flip flap and he'd be away from you. You used to know what he was going to do, but you couldn't stop it. His feet were frightening. Frightening ability. Because his dad, I think, because I was, I was at school and his dad was, I think my dad was an English teacher for a year or two. Um, and all our English class was about Aiden and Celtic. Aiden this, Aiden that, and I was like that. I, I didn't really know much about Aiden at the time, because I was only, I think, even fourth year or something. So, But it was, I'll give you Aiden Boots, and it was just, it was brilliant to be see it, tell us all the stories about Celtic. And, and obviously, you hear all the stories now about him, and he's still, for me, he's, he's probably still Sunderland's best player now, and he's about 34, 35. Um, and it's a shame, obviously, what happened to him recently with Sunderland, he wasn't playing, but... I've when I seen him, I thought it was unbelievable. And I thought he's one of the only guys I think I've seen going abroad, and that's just sticking it out and doing really well. Because to go to Sparta at Moscow for three or four years and sticking out, that's good gone. Well, definitely, and I think he had, he had to sort of adapt his game and change his game when he went out there as well. So I think he got a lot more coaching out there than what he did, what he did at Celtic, and then. Um, I like. There's, I've played with some um, some brilliant players, all but all, all for different reasons. I played with like Liam Miller was phenomenal as well. Um, totally different to what what Aiden is. Liam was a powerhouse in the middle of the park, and um, um, he was he was a great player. And but Aiden, so what the one that sticks out for me in terms of like lot like raw and natural ability, um, I don't think anybody would argue with that as well. I think. I also remember this is just a vague memory when I was when I was really young. So we changed for the first team when Mark Viduka and another player that that team were playing, and I remember playing in um, a training match at Barfield and Mayo Berkovic and the, Celt- the Celtic fans hated him because he never tackled. Um, he used to go through the motions in games, but. See in training, I've never seen anything like this in, in my life before. Seen a type of football that I'd never seen before. See just possession football. See playing triangles around you, and just keeping the ball. And like he was the best I'd ever seen in the flesh at, at that. And Celtic fans won't be able to identify with that because they never seen that side of him. He was he was ridiculous. But I did it totally different to. Tony, I had it. I had him in the back of my Celtic jersey and I don't know if you remember this we played Rangers at Ibrox and he scored two goals but we get beat 4-2 but on that game he was unplayable he was the best player in the park but we we managed we ended up getting beat 4-2 but I had him in the back of my top and I think I was about 10 or 11 and uh, this big Beria guy next year when he scored the second picked me up because I had him in the back of my top he was <laughs> parading me to the Rangers fans with Berkovic in the back of my top <laughs> Unluckily, we get beat that day, but aye, he was unbelievable talent for what I remember, but it just didn't work out for him in Scotland. Probably just I like Janino. 
I'd never seen football played played that way. Like I was always told, just as soon as you get the ball, just start running with it, start um, being direct, causing defenders problems. I'd never seen possession football like that, where it was just one and two touch. We used to go into the rondo boxes and training and like, join in as young boys and just couldn't get near them, could not get near them. Um, and he was doing that, not just the young boys, but he was doing that to like, first team players. Mark Viduka was brilliant as well, what a player he was. And his feet were fucking ridiculous for a, for a big guy. Ridiculous. Uh, they were just two from my younger days that, that, I, that I remember watching and going, wow, that's, that's a different level. I can see obviously Owen Viduka, I know some Celtic fans might because of the way it ended with him, but. I vaguely remember him, but my old man says he was brilliant. Um, he said he, he wished he was maybe a bit longer because he was he was big, strong guy, target man, done really well in the box. And I think players like that, um, I think maybe that's the sort of guy you can maybe relate to when it comes to Celtic. We really need a guy like that to know. And the current quote, I don't think we've got that. I think football's changed so technically and fitness and like the guy Edward Edwards. Unbelievable, but he's, he's not got that pressure to take the ball in and link up in a way. Then the height guys like Maduka back then and guys like Hearts and Sutton, could they? I find a way, find a way for what I talk about. I, um, where do you start? Um, where do you start? It's just been a, a disaster this season, isn't it? Um, it's, it's hard to put your finger on, but I think. I think a lot of it, I think if you can talk about the hierarchy and you can talk about Neil Lennon, you can talk about tactics and formations, but it's the, the 11 players that get out in the park and they've let themselves down this season. I think they've, I think they've just sort of felt sorry for themselves a wee bit this year. Um, Celtic, the, the team has missed the support, there's no doubt about that, 100% missed the support. Um, and, and the backing that the fans give them at Celtic Park is nothing like it. But so I think I think the Celtic I think some of the Celtic players have just sort of felt sorry for themselves this season. I don't think they've down tools and I don't think it's for the want of trying. Sometimes I sometimes I look at them and I go, and they're actually trying too hard. Mm-hmm. But um I think they're just feeling felt sorry for themselves this season. Uh, whereas the other team across the water have just got on with things and just and just got on with it um, and, and managed to get result after result but it's not been great has it? You see obviously us as fans maybe we're too critical and we're, we're blaming the, the manager and we're, we're wanting a better structure for the tap development maybe you think obviously you've played the game and you, you know how professional players play and how their mindset is do you think maybe some fans are do you think because it is gone for 10 in a row, the fans are maybe too critical and maybe putting, putting too much pressure and expecting too much? Or is it maybe as criticism that maybe should be gone their way? I think that obviously because of social media now, it's just the criticism has just exploded. Neil Lennon, he's getting battered about for Pallet Poster now. Um, but I also share the, I, I do share the, the frustrations of some of the Celtic fans as well. They're just hurting. And mm-hmm. there's nowhere else, the Celtic fans are hurting and there's nowhere else to vent it other than on social media platforms. They can't go to the games and vent their frustrations and, 
to call why we are going through a pandemic right now, so there's a lot of frustration coming from all sorts of angles. And it doesn't matter what Neil Lennon does now, he's getting battered about for the Twitter post. It doesn't matter what he says. Um, he could be saying something brilliant. Fans will pick up on it and say, what's he saying that for? Mm-hmm. Right, so I think I think he's doomed now. But um, I, share, I share some of the frustrations for the fans and I think it's, it does come from the recruitment side of things. I think that we had an opportunity and really stamp our authority all over this season and going by some real top draw players, real top quality players when the money was there. Instead, you look, you're in the summer, you're looking at your phone, you're, you're, you're constantly checking to see who they're signing and mm-hmm. it's just young player after young player. Like, they signed the boy Connell, look at Connell, they signed the boy Afalabi and you're thinking, why are they buying for the future just now? Why are they not going and Mm-hmm. and spending some top dollar on some right quality players when you've got that opportunity. And I think that's where, where the sense of frustration is coming from. I, I totally get it. Because I, I felt the same as well. I thought, yeah, it's all very well bringing on in young players, but not at this stage. Not at this stage. Mm-hmm. Go and get four or five players with some real pedigree and just put this 10 in a row to bed. But it never happened. So I think that's what me and Robert, and Robert about recruitment, we've spoken about quite a lot in the podcast that it's something I think the full structure of the way recruitment is. Young youth projects are alright for long term, obviously from Palmer, I mean, we've got some money from but again these wee cryptic tweets, we don't know what's going on at the club and there's a lot of things going on but I think me and you agree with uh, Tony that the recruitment's going to be better. Yes, it's... Um... One in every 10, 15 players that we're signing, we're getting a great return on, which is great, aye. But the other 15 then outweigh it because you're not getting the money in. It's all right if you're maybe doing that every three or four players and getting the recruitment right. But I feel for John Park left, um, our recruitment's not been very good. We've had a lot of diamonds, a lot of decent players come through the youth and that. But I feel for the money we spend, we should be producing better and developing better um, players. I just feel we need somebody like a John Park back in control of the club um, just because he had more success than any other coach. And we, I think a director of football, what we spoke about, Ryan, that can comes in just in case we get a crack manager and maybe he gets moved on in two years. At least when you've got a director of football there, maybe John Collins, maybe a Gordon Strike, maybe a Martin O'Neill. The structure's always there because I feel the youth system now is a total shambles because we're losing all good, good young talent and I just feel they don't see a pathway to the first team under the current management system and it, I just think there's a disconnect from the youth to the first team a disconnect from the board to the fans it just needs addressed and I think the longer it goes on the more harder it's going to be to try and do all this hard work in the summer that's just I don't know how Tony feels on that yeah I mean that I think that they, it's hard to think. Obviously, you heard Brendan Rogers say before he left, comfort is the enemy of the progress. And I, I mm-hmm. remember him saying that and trying to make sense of it. But it all, it all sort of makes sense now. I think that I think the board have been complacent. Um, you can say whatever you want, but I think that they, they have been complacent. I'm a big Neil Lennon fan. Um, uh, but... At the same time, a lot of the things that I see in, in this current Celtic team now, I, 
and I'm, I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking to myself, why is, why is Lenny not p- picking up on that? Like, he used to, he used to have a right good eye for a player and he mm. used to recognise things in games, but it's just not happening now. Like, you're talking about, see, but it used to be when you got into the cell, the Celtic team, you, you had to be exceptional to get into the Celtic team. I don't think a lot of the players that, that we've signed and we have there are, are exceptional players. I think that the, standard, the standards have been dropped massively. Um, I see players, the, my frustration, I watch I watch Celtic play and I, I don't really say much when I watch the games. I like to just take it all in, mm-hmm. look at it for a tactical element, look at players' body language and stuff like that. Um, some of the stats must be so poor. I don't know who's looking at the stats. You look at Frimpong and he's brilliant up to a certain point. Doesn't get any crosses in the box. You compare that to Adidi Agat, who wasn't a terrific player, but the goals that he used to set up mm-hmm. and the, 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 the problems he used to cause on that right-hand side, even on the left-hand side, you've got Laxal, who is a decent enough defender sometimes makes some poor mistakes but there's no crosses in the box nobody seems to get any decent, decent deliveries on the box in the box at all um, and the, the stats have been so poor this season in terms of the, the forward players there's no you don't, you don't see many crosses you don't see many assists you don't see many goals coming from you look at what what Tavernier and you look at what Barisic give for for Rangers right now in terms of stats, in terms of assists, in terms mm-hmm. of goals, it's on a different planet to, in comparison to what the Celtic players have showed this year. And I don't get what I don't get is how that's constantly been allowed to happen. It used to be if you're not producing the goals, then you're out the team and someone else will get a goal. But these players have been allowed to play week in week mm-hmm. out. You see, obviously, I think I've seen you carry about it uh, before, Tony, on your social media about about, uh, about Jamie Frimpong. How like, I agree with you, I think Robert agrees with you as well when it comes to him crossing the ball. That's not something I think that people have been on Twitter and stuff that he's got to be coached. You you played out a winger, sure, that's something that comes naturally as a winger to cross the ball at the certain bit. And if you cross the ball in, if the ball was not there, then that's no, that's, that's not your fault. Your, your job is, you probably know, it's just, just get the ball in the box. I know, and it, absolutely. I had it, had it jumped into me, just put it in my area, and the strikers will go and find it. And I'm not I'm not trying to, like, just put all the blame on Fringpon and put mm-hmm. all the blame on, on Laxalt, but I think Celtic will be better off without Fringpon because a lot of our play goes through him. He seems to be the out ball a lot of the time. And I don't think um, he's not a Patrick Roberts type where Patrick Roberts will get the ball and he'll go and try and link up mm-hmm. the strikers. Frimpong, I don't think he's, he's got that game intelligence to be able to do that. And I don't think that he's very creative when he gets in the, in the final third. A lot of times he'll hit the byline, not do much with it, or else he'll turn back. Um, it needs to be better. Celtic, it has to be the, the quality, the standard of player needs to be better. That was always the the standards that I was I grew up to um, to realise that you need to be exceptional to be a, a Celtic player. And I think I think Celtic are crying out for a, 
a Patrick Roberts. Um, I even thought Aiden at, at the time could have done a turn as well at the start of the season. Why not? Um, that type of player that's going to have a wee bit of magic. Um, and we just we just don't have it in the now. Um, I, I don't want to refer to Rangers all the time, but mm-hmm. with, with Kent in the team, he just gives something different. It gives a total different dynamic to the team because he, he drives at players because of how skillful, skillful he is. And, and we need to compare ourselves to, to Rangers because that's that's our benchmark. We're their, their benchmark. We're always going to compare the players to what they have. They're always going to pair, compare their players to what we have. And I think um, the quality has just not been there at all this season. Not at all. I think that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? How Frimpong was, maybe if he was better coached, he might be a bit more intelligence, but I think the way with Tony saying is, that's done in you personally and through a young age that you really, sh- if you're playing at Celtic, you should have that anyway. I feel with young Frimpong is, uh, he's not quite a right back, he's not quite a right mid, he's more like a wing back. And I feel he is a young boy that when he goes to Leverkusen and I feel he gets coached better, I think he'll blossom. I think he'll turn into a right good player. I think he's got a lot of attributes, like being quick and getting by players. He's good at And I just feel under the right coaching. Like, I would say if Frank Pong was under a Brendan Rodgers, then he would be so good within a year or two. He'd absolutely develop. Um, he, I mean, you look at how Tierney was a cracking player under Ronnie Dyler, but how much he started picking his passes out under Brendan Rodgers. Tierney would either fire the ball across the six-year box or he would fire the ball back into the like the D, waiting for an Armstrong or something to come in and take the, the, the shot on there. He just became more a cover player, more thinking. And I feel wee Fring Pong was a wee bit of a rush of blood to the head, going down the wing, didn't know what to do. And I don't know if that's doing to him just not being good enough with his crosses or that's doing to Neil Lennon and that telling him, just get down the line and work crosses in. Rather than saying, take your time in the final third, pick your pass because... You've probably got two or three seconds more because he's that quick. I don't know. But we'll all see what he does over in Leverkusen. And I don't think they really go and buy players at that many because I don't think they're good enough. Yeah, no, he's got great attributes. I agree with you. Um, but what, what amazes me is that why it's been allowed to happen all the time because Neil Lennon, that's not in his character. Like, having known him um, as, as a player and having... I didn't know him as a, as a manager I'd, I'd left before then but he would always he always struck me as someone always expected a, a certain standard and if it wasn't good enough he just didn't play, it was as simple as that so what amazes me about Neil Lennon this season is he's allowing things to happen all the time you know what I mean um, mm-hmm. he's not recognising things see, see Christie for me as well just now is He's got everything in his locker, but he's just not seeing pictures now. now. He's not not contributing the assists. He chips in with the odd goal, but for a, a player of his ability, it's just nowhere, nowhere near good enough. But, but still, he's been allowed to play all the time. So things are things are being allowed to happen, and that's that's the that's what I'm scratching my head about. Um, I didn't think that Lenny uh, would would allow for these things to happen but it just keeps happening time and time again I think obviously the last wee bit on it is that I think that it's just I, 
I know the excuse about having the fans, but I think it's definitely affected a lot of the players and uh, guys like I think guys like obviously Shane Duffy's had a bit of a mess. I do feel for guy in a way, but he's had a bit of a mess this season. But I think when the fans were there, some of these players their levels maybe no drop because obviously you played at Celtic Park, uh, Tony, you played yourself. When you're in a bad touch or a bad game, the fans are eating your back and it might give you a wee, a wee kick up burst to actually, all right, okay, I need to play better. See the thing is though, like, like, um, see at Celtic, it's it's a sink or swim environment. It's either good enough or it's not good enough, and that's just that's just mm-hmm. the way it is. That was the way I was always brought up as well. Even when I when I played the couple of games that I did, I always thought to myself, if I don't produce here, I, I keep out the door, and that's the way it's always been. Whether the fans are there, whether we're going through a pandemic or not. You either you either perform or you don't. You either hit the ground running or you don't, and that's that's the pressures of playing for a club like Celtic or Rangers. And there's no there's no room for sentiment. You know what I mean? Especially in a season as important as it was this year. So I have a degree a sympathy for players, but you also they've also got to realise that this is Celtic you're at. So you mm-hmm. either you've got to produce the goods or or you need to go. It's as simple as that. And I do agree with giving players time uh, to develop and but there's only so long you can you can hold on for for um for that to happen. And and sadly for Celtic this season too much has went on and players have got away with murder for too long. And obviously um obviously you're saying about the pandemic. Um, how's how's it been for yourself and obviously the future? Um, I know you're doing kind of personal training and stuff. Um, obviously you're still playing playing football. Obviously it's stopped the new but In the future, obviously you mentioned the coaching. Um, is that something you can kind of work into kind of long term? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's obviously been difficult for myself in terms of the work. Um, the work's really quieting down for me, but it's also given me an opportunity to work on my e-license, so I'm doing my e-license and my youth pro license just now and that's been hard because there's been a lot of Zoom calls and um, a lot of online meetings, it's not something I've been used to Um, but it's definitely something that I want to do in the future and I'm going to work hard towards that, so I'm playing playing at St Caddox just now in the south side of Glasgow uh, and it's been great uh, Craig McEwen is the manager. He's took me there as a player coach, so it's, it's allowed me to continue playing. I'm 38 now, and I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and I'm just um, very grateful to still be kicking a ball at this age um, and doing all right. But it's also allowed me to coach to offer coaching wise. So it's definitely something. It's definitely the road I will be going down. Um, once we get out of this and uh, hopefully I'll be qualified in, in March time, I think, at the end of March. Oh, I think the coaching side is definitely something I, I was interested in, but I've kind of went away from it. But I think it's definitely, I think a lot of football players now are ex-professionals are kind of getting into that kind of coaching side now. Um, and I think it's it's definitely something to have valuable, especially when you leave kind of kind of playing football. I think it keeps you in the game. Um, is there anything else you want to ask, Robert, before we go? No, I'd just like to thank Tony for his time and it's very good to hear an insight of somebody that's played at the highest level and 
just tell him thanks for his time and stuff. I really appreciated him coming on. It's really nice listening to his stories. No, it's, it's been great for me. I'm glad that someone's asked me to talk about football. It's been a long time. I was I was hoping that um, somebody that, like yourselves would come along and ask me because I, I love talking about the game. I love the game. I'm obsessed with it. Um, and I could sit in here and talk about football all night, please. So it's, it's been great uh, having you on. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you. I said it's. Thanks very much. For me, it's a pleasure as always, Tony. I see we are massive Celtic fans, and just to hear the guys you've played with and kind of the way you brought up with Celtic, it's just brilliant to hear because you don't hear it very often. Um, so I really appreciate your, appreciate your time, Tony. And obviously, keep safe through the pandemic, and hopefully for your future, the coaching side goes well, and hopefully we can maybe call back your league. But um, <laughs> that'll be for another day in the Celtic Now and for our podcast. Robert, Tony, thanks for your time, boys, and I'll see you later. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. Sometimes she just feels the